tells us not to swear. It's as simple and as complicated as that. Don't swear at all, Jesus says. Sounds a bit like my mother when I was a teenager. Hey, watch your mouth. <laughs> now, we should watch our mouths, but using profanity is not in Jesus' mind here. Jesus is not talking about, about cussing. He's talking about swearing oaths. And he says, don't swear oaths at all. So what does it mean to swear an oath? It means to make a sacred promise that you're telling the truth. So, for example, a witness takes the stand in court. You know the movies, right? And they're asked by the judge, do you solemnly swear? That's the word. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And how does the witness respond? No, not really. I mean, I was planning on fudging the truth just a little bit. You see, it's actually kind of against my self-interest to tell the truth. I don't think anyone's ever responded like that in the history of legal cases. Instead, the witness responds, I do, so help me God. We call this a sworn testimony. It's a testimony that utilizes swearing as a way to communicate that one is really serious about telling the truth. In today's scripture, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't swear at all. Instead, let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. Whatever goes beyond these simple words is from the evil one. Now, what is going on here? I, I submit to you this morning that Jesus is concerned about far more than just what is said in court. Jesus is teaching us how to use words in everyday life. You see, Jesus' goal here in the Sermon on the Mount is to disciple our speech. Or to stick with Jesus' own language concerning the evil one, Jesus' goal is to exorcise the grip of the devil on our tongues so that we might speak freely, honestly, and simply with others, and not just when we're under oath. So before we dive deeper into this teaching of Jesus, let's pray for God to help us hear and obey God's word. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we profess that Paul was right when he said all scripture is inspired and useful for training in righteousness. So we come to you, Jesus, for some training. We're gathered around you now, dear Lord, for a, a workout in righteousness. As we gather here, we remember that it's all about our heart, as Jesus taught. It's about our inner being, and we remember that what you're after is true inner goodness. So help us, Jesus, not only to hear your words, but help us to be trained by them so that we might be more fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And not just for our sake, but for the sake of a world in urgent need of honesty and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 33. Jesus is giving his longest sermon, at least that's recorded in the Bible, and, and he uses the space to instruct us how to live in God's family. And we've already learned a couple of things about life in God's family. Number one, we learned that 
it's a life without sustained anger. Number two, we learn that it's a life without cultivated lust. Now today, a third thing Jesus teaches us. Today we're going to learn how life in God's family is also a life without lying. So here's the word of the Lord from the book that we love, Matthew 5, verse 33. Jesus says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear oaths at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. This was obviously before the days of hair dye. <laughs> All you need is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. At first glance, this passage appears the least practical of all the commands of Jesus. We think to ourselves, well, I don't swear oaths, so it doesn't apply to me. But that's not the case. Because while on the one hand Jesus is talking about swearing oaths, on the other hand he's talking about something much greater than merely oaths. He's talking about using our speech to love others well. So first, let's figure out this whole business of, of swearing oaths and, and what that was about in Jesus' day. And then we'll see how Jesus is, is aiming at something much higher, something that affects the everyday speech of our lives. So in the first century, at the time of Jesus, swearing oaths had become a regular part of everyday communication. If a farmer is selling his goat, he would try to reassure his potential buyer that it's a good goat, healthy, strong, and when rubbed with a little bit of peppercorn and cumin, delicioso. <laughs> so the seller would say, I swear by heaven, that's a good goat. And the buyer would think, well, then it must be a good goat. I'll take it. The problem, though, is that it wasn't always a good goat. We still do this kind of thing today. A used car salesman promises us that it's a, it's a good car, in great condition, heck of a deal, but it's not always a good car. The wife asks her husband, are you cheating on me? He replies, I'm not. I'm really not. I swear to God. But sometimes he is. The board of trustees asks the executive or the megachurch pastor, did you or did you not make unwanted sexual advances on her? I did not. I swear to God, I would never, he says. The problem, though, is what? Sometimes he would, and he did. So you can see how swearing oaths, how making a, a sacred promise is a method of persuasion. We try to persuade others of our truthfulness, and we do so by swearing. Or we may take it down a notch and say something like, I promise. Honey, honey, I'll be home at four. I promise. She knows not to believe me when I say that. <laughs> it's the same idea, right? It's a way of using language to convince others of our trustworthiness, to assure others they can depend on us. Now, 
That seems innocent enough, doesn't it? Yet Jesus tells us to slam the brakes on it. Do not swear at all, he says. Why? Because it's unnecessary in the new family of Jesus. It's unnecessary in the kingdom of God. For those whose lives are in harmony with God's life, the swearing of oaths adds nothing to what is said. That's because, quite simply, we are already telling the truth, and we can count on others to do the same. There's no reason for anything extra, no reason for oaths in the kingdom of God, that is. But in the kingdom of this world, we feel the need to swear oaths. (laughs) don't we? We feel the need for something a little extra to help people be honest. We feel this way because, well, people lie a lot. That's a nice shirt, by the way, Steve. (laughs) I told, I asked him if I could do that earlier, so I'm not just being a jerk. (laughs) Author James Brian Smith helps us see just how much a problem lying is in our everyday lives. Listen to what he writes. According to a study conducted by Robert Feldman, in a 10-minute conversation, we tell an average of 3.3 lies. Once every three minutes or so, we lie. Author Ralph Keyes, another person, concludes that some form of deception occurs in nearly two-thirds of conversations. In another study, 59%, listen to this, 59% of parents, 2,000 parents, 59% admitted to lying to their children on a regular basis. And yet those same parents tell their kids it's wrong to lie. I'm sorry, honey, the candy store is closed. It looks like the iPad's not working today. (laughs) Keys concludes, if the research on this subject is credible, nearly all of us tell lies and far more often than we realize. So this is the reason we ask people to place their hands on Bibles and swear to God. We require this because we hope it will turn long-tongued liar into honest Abe. Of course, sometimes our hopes are in vain. But here's the point Jesus is getting at when he tells us we don't need to swear oaths anymore. Jesus is saying that what what seems necessary in the kingdom of this world is superfluous in the kingdom of Jesus. It's no longer needed. It's extra. For, For as we abide in Jesus and his words abide in us, we become the kind of people who tell the truth from the heart. As we live in Jesus, and as his words live in us, we learn how to become the kind of people who quite easily and naturally speak the truth plainly. And when this happens in an entire community, it's not hard to imagine how such people have no need at all for for swearing oaths, no need at all for all these bells and whistles to underscore their honesty. There's no need for swearing or extra promises. A simple yes or no, is all that's needed. That's because their trustworthiness is well established and rooted in the trustworthiness of God. To put it simply, Jesus believes we can tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and that God will help us. 
And not just in court, but also in the family room, the board meeting, the dinner party, the sports field. That's what Jesus is after in today's scripture. He wants us to live without lying. More than that, he wants us to live without pretending, without deception. He wants us to speak the truth from the heart, to speak the truth in love. And he actually believes it can happen for those of us who have become his apprentices. So let's use the rest of our time to unpack that a bit. As we do so, let's get real practical as we learn from Jesus how to live without lying. I offer to you three ways to begin living more truthfully, honestly, and authentically. Three roads to the destination of speaking the truth in love. And I'll give all of them to you up front, and then, and then we'll go deeper into each one. You ready? All right, three ways to live without lying. Number one, trust God. Number two, check your motives. And number three, don't be a jerk. <laughs> number one, it starts with trusting God. Trusting God. Now that may sound cliche, but it's true. You see, if we experience deep down the trustworthiness of God, then we will in turn become trustworthy ourselves. More specifically, if we begin to trust God's feelings toward us, which is summed up in love, then we will begin to speak the truth plainly and simply. Now, why is that? Well, first let's think about why we lie, and then we'll address how trusting God cures it. So what motivates us to tell lies? I was trying to think of the last time I lied, but I couldn't think of any. Oh, there it is. <laughs> what motivates us to tell lies, both little lies and big ones? What, what prompts us? What prompts us to bend the truth just enough to deceive our neighbor? According to James Bryan Smith, two things. Number one, fear. Number two, the desire to get something we want. Fear and the desire to get something we want. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you may notice the similarities between what fuels lying and what fuels anger. Fear and the desire to get what we want. So, you're at a party. People start talking about the new movie they love or the new show that's trending or in more academic circles, the books they've been reading. As they're talking, you quickly realize you have no idea what they're talking about. You haven't seen the show or read the book or, or whatever. But you don't, want to feel, you don't want to feel left out. You don't want to give the impression that, that you're outdated or, or unlearned. So when they ask you, hey, what do you think about it? How do you respond? Do you tell the truth and risk embarrassment? Or do you pretend like you loved it? Oh, that, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Very often, we pretend. And that may not be an outward lie, but we pretend with our body language and our, our head nods. We give the impression that we're in the loop, that we're well-read, that we've got it together. Now, according to Jesus, that's lying. That's the type of pretending 
Jesus wants to remove from our lives. Because even if we don't outright lie, we're still not living authentically in those moments. We're still not living from the heart. Psalm 139 says, God desires truth in the inward being. God desires truth in the inward being. And that's the kind of truth and integrity that Jesus wants to to shape in those who follow him. So let's bring this back now to why we lie, and then we'll deal directly with how trusting God cures it. We lie because we think we need to lie to get by. We lie because there is this fear of what will happen if we tell the truth, and there is this desire to get something we want, which in the previous example is to be liked by our peers, to be respected. Of course, there are different fears and different desires that undergird different lies. People lie on their resumes to get the job. People lie to their bosses because they want to keep their job. (laughs) Students lie to their teachers because they want to get the grade. Boyfriends lie to their girlfriends because I won't go there. (laughs) We lie to our fellow church members because we want to appear holier than we are. Again, the reason we don't tell the truth in these situations is for one of two reasons. Fear, we're afraid of what others will think, or desire. We desire to get something we want, and we believe lying is the most surefire way to get it. So how does trusting God help us with that? When we trust the one who is trustworthy, that relationship of trust, of love, of connection— That relationship with God removes our fears and satisfies our desires. It removes our fears and satisfies our desires. For instance, when we trust God loves us unconditionally, like like really, we trust it. We're no longer afraid of others not loving us or that deeper terror that we are, in fact, unlovable. Trust removes that fear. Or when we trust that God thinks well of us, that God approves of us, regardless what's on our resume, we're no longer afraid of not measuring up, or not making the cut, or not being successful enough. Trust removes fear. Now on to desire. When we trust that God is on the throne and in control, we no longer feel the desire to manage and control things on our own. This includes the desire to to manage and control others' perceptions of us. Trust removes the desire to get our way. Lastly, if we trust that God is in charge and lovingly watches over our lives, we no longer need to lie or cheat to get our way because because we can be confident that God will give us just what we need right when we need it. Trust removes the desire for us to take charge and make sure we get our way. So my friends, if you hear nothing else, hear this. The antidote to lying is not 
to try to stop lying. The antidote is trusting God, whose complete love casts out all fear and whose power works all things together for good for those who love God back. Three ways to live without lying. Number one, trust God. Number two, check your motives. Check your motives. You know those, you know those check engine lights in your car? I wish one of those went off in our heads whenever our motives were, were suspect. Because so often we don't, we don't actually recognize when our motives are impure. Of course, we can't rely on that to happen, just as I could never rely on my actual check engine light and my darling of a car, 2004 Pontiac Vibe. That check engine light was on for probably eight years. <laughs> Don't judge me. You know, Jesus is going to teach about judging us a little later in the sermon. <laughs> so while we can't rely on a, on a flashing light to tell us that our motives are off, we can do this. We can set aside regular times in our life to engage in a spiritual practice called self-examination. Self-examination. Here's an ancient practice that's just as relevant today as it was centuries ago. It's a simple practice, really. All you do is you set aside regular time, maybe five, ten minutes, whatever you can manage, to sit with God for the sole purpose of reflecting back on your day or your week. That's self-examination. So as you reflect on your day and your week, you're inviting God to, to, to help you remember where God was present and to help you remember where you went off base. Psalm 139 is helpful here. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So as we do this self-examination, either uh, at the end of the day, reflecting on the day, or at the end of the week, reflecting on the week, as we do this, we, we, at least in my experience, the Spirit prompts things in us that, that we've done wrong, that maybe we didn't recognize. So we're able to confess these, these less-than-pure motives. We're able to confess these attempts at, at manipulating an outcome to get what we want. We're able to confess manipulating a person to do what we want, wanting them to do. And then we're able to receive God's mercy and grace and ask God to help us to see in advance tomorrow what God helped us see in reflection today. That's self-examination. It's a, it's a wonderful practice in the Christian faith. It helps us to check our motives. Number one, trust God. Number two, check our motives. Dallas Willard actually sees this idea of manipulating others as central to what Jesus is, is addressing in, in the text for today. When Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, Willard thinks what he's talking about is, is the way that we try to manipulate other people with our words. See, the first century Pharisees were famous for, for using their words to manipulate other people. Jesus wants us to have none of that. That's the kind of thing you have to check and be aware of if you're truly going to live a life without lying. Jesus wants us to, to state the truth as we see it plainly and humbly, to let your yes be yes, your no be no, 
Anything more is, is from the evil one, he says. So if you're having a hard time grasping this, this idea of, of using our words to manipulate others, just think of modern-day marketing, would you? You'll understand what Jesus is talking about. For so much of this is, is manipulative marketing. Not all, but a lot of it. I got in a conversation recently with uh, the guy who does marketing for Camp Tecumseh, Christian, Christian Camp. He helped me to see that not all marketing is evil, but I still believe that all marketing is tempted to take the shortcut. And the shortcut is, is the attempt to manipulate, to manipulate others so that we get what we want, which is usually more views, more likes, more money. You see, manipulative marketing does not even try to tell it straight. They're intentionally trying to, to pull on our heartstrings and bypass our minds so that we buy their products, somewhat unthinkingly. Have you ever bought a product and thought to yourself, now why did I buy this? <laughs> they know why. They know because they have tapped into the school of psychology to figure out how to influence us to do something, almost against our wills and certainly against our rationality. That's the kind of thing you want to avoid, according to Jesus using our words to manipulate others. Dallas writes, Many people make a good living doing, things, doing nothing but uttering in attractive or coercive ways yeses that are not really yeses and noes that are not noes. In social or political contexts, we now call them spin doctors. That's what Willard says. But the point I want us to, to get here when it comes to checking our motives is that it's not just the politicians or marketers that are tempted to spin the truth. The reason I bring this up is because we all are tempted to spin the truth, and we're tempted to do this every day and in ordinary conversations. You see, we all have the power to use words to manipulate other people. Truth be told, sometimes we preachers are the worst. <laughs> For we're given a weekly platform to communicate the wisdom and love of God, but how easy it is to use this platform to bypass people's minds, to pull on their hearts and wills, and to get them to do what you want them to do. Lord Jesus, forgive me if I've ever come close to doing this. Lord Jesus, help all preachers everywhere and help everyone listening to speak the truth plainly with pure hearts. So there's three ways to live without lying. Three ways to speak the truth in love. Number one, trust God. Number two, check your motives. And number three, don't be a jerk. The reason for this third one is not just because I'm trying to be funny or provocative. The reason this third one must be stated is because it'd be easy to hear the other two and think, okay, I'm supposed to just speak my mind all the time. But that's actually not what Scripture teaches. In fact, quite the contrary. Take Proverbs 18, verse 2, for example. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Do you know anyone who delights in airing their own opinion? <laughs> What would social media even be without the multiplication of such opinions and fools? Or read the letter, read the letter from Jesus' little brother, James. 
You know, James actually picks up many of the same themes of, of this Sermon on the Mount. Turns out someone was paying attention to Jesus' sermon. So James writes, everyone should be, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then he later speaks about, he speaks about taming the tongue, about controlling the tongue like, like we control a horse or a ship. So this calling to live without lying is not a calling to speak your mind to anyone and everyone. It's a calling, above all, to use our words to love other people well. Anyone remember that Jim Carrey movie, Liar Liar, from the late 90s? <laughs> anyone? One person? Two people? All right. Hey, we got a couple people that are telling the truth. Love that movie. There are some raunchy parts. Love that movie. The whole, the whole, uh, the, the moral of the story is this. Sometimes it's best to restrain honesty. Not to, not to lie, but to restrain our honesty. For example, honey, does this dress make me look fat? Answer, you look beautiful. See what I did there? <laughs> Allow me to refer to James Bryan Smith one more time. You should know the reason I quote Smith so much here is because his full name and my name have only four letters that are off. James Bryan Smith, Brandon James Smith. Okay, I'm being sarcastic, but there's a point in that even too. That I, th- I think there's room in Jesus' teachings here for humor and for the fun use of sarcasm. I don't think Jesus is wanting Christians to be the most boring people in the world. In fact, we should be the most interesting people in the world. So I digress. So here's J.B. Smith one more time. He's speaking about the, the limits of honesty, which I'm calling don't be a jerk. He writes, it takes, it takes discernment and wisdom to decide when honesty is helpful or harmful. For me, this is James speaking, for me, I, I pray for the people involved before I speak. I want my words to come from a a kingdom attitude, which is love. And love is willing the good of another. Sometimes willing the good, listen to this, sometimes willing the good will mean telling the unvarnished truth. At other times, it will mean withholding the truth. The issue is not easy, he writes, but fortunately we we have prayer and we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. So don't be a jerk. (laughs) Jesus wants us to speak the truth in love. He wants to form us into the kind of people who who naturally and easily tell the truth because we don't have to fear because we we, we, we are held in a loving embrace of the Father. We don't have to, 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 to work so hard at desiring to get what we want because we trust that God will give it to us. We, we can become people who speak plainly and simply, not with all these extras, without any intent to manipulate the person. We can become these type of people, Jesus believes. And Jesus, who is also our God, gives us the Holy Spirit to make this possible. So let us, let us trust God. Let us check our motives and let us not be jerks. Let us love with our speech, just as Christ loved us with his. And then let us go even beyond that, to love sacrificially, as Christ gave up his life for us.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.